places. Everyone. We're now broadcasting. Roll the tape in. Three, two. A new audio drama. Appaloosa Radio is where stories come alive. Radio offers on the Express Bus 73A a multi episode original story. Many contemporary high tech employees ride Express commuter buses daily to and from their work. Mr. Larry J. Connors is just one of the many. Larry is a numbers guy, a veritable filing cabinet for numbers whose speciality is making fiscal projections, doing benefit analysis, and generating cost-to-price determinations. Unfortunately, Larry is also a quasi-social isolate who stares at his own shoes to avoid eye contact with others. As our story begins, Larry's personal life has been reduced to doing his laundry, playing with his dog, and watching old, classic movies on television. One morning, when he boards his usual commuter bus, everything changes. He is no longer who he is. He is now living another's life and he is a stranger in his own body. Chapter 10 Easy Ed's Liquor Barn Tape number 6. May 22nd. I am using my new phone to make this recording. It seems a lot easier than my old tape recorder. No tapes. I hope it goes well. Doreen suggested that I make a record of my experiences. Later, she said, when some time has passed, you can play the tapes and maybe they'll help you to make sense of things. On this tape, I'll try to tell the story of my second experience jumping from my previous self, Larry, to a new self. This time I jumped into the self of Mrs. Guadalupe Valenzuela. Here it goes. To say it was deja vu, all over again, in Casey Stengel's famous aphorism, would not be accurate. The second event had some similarities to the first, but far more differences. There I go, speaking in a pseudo-clinical, nonsensical voice. The truth was that the two events were different because the people were so different. 
Lupe Valenzuela could not be more different than Major Tim Augustine. Of course, I was also different. I still rode the same bus, the 73 Express, and I still boarded it at the last stop, just before it whizzes downtown. But I was now talking to the other bus riders, having actual conversations with them. On this morning, the bus came, and we all boarded it together. I remember that we all were laughing at somebody's joke. Just as the bus started to leave, I saw her. She was running toward the bus. I yelled, Stop the bus! Stop the bus! There is a woman running. Please wait for her. The bus driver did not like to wait. I had never seen him stop for latecomers. He was one of those always stick to the schedule guys. To my considerable surprise, he stopped and waited for her. She was a middle-aged Hispanic woman, a little overweight, but still attractive. She had been trying to run in high heels, but one fell off, and she was carrying it while still wearing the other. She climbed aboard the bus, gasping for air. Still, she managed. Thank you so much. Can't be late for my first day on my new job. She handed the driver a $5 bill to pay for her fare. Immediately, the driver grunted and pointed to a sign which stated, Driver cannot provide change. She just stood there in confusion, not knowing what to do next. Then, one of the women sitting in the front ripped a ticket out of her own ticket book, and said, Here, honey, use this. With that, a bond had been formed. Not with me, but with a busload of otherwise strangers. I am not sure who else, if anyone, on the bus has my special ability. I used to believe that I was wholly unique, a cosmic event unlike any other. Now, I am not so sure. My connection to the Hispanic woman began slowly. She joined our morning bus group. She learned to wear flats to walk to the bus stop, and to carry her high-heeled shoes in a canvas bag. She learned to leave her night job sufficiently early to catch the bus on time. She learned where she could buy discount ticket books for the bus. She learned our names, and at which stops we got off. We learned her name was Guadalupe Valenzuela, she had six children, and she worked two jobs to support them. Her husband had been a construction worker, but he had been killed in an accident. We also learned that she was a phone operator who took orders for those products advertised on television. You know. Buy one in the next 20 minutes, and we'll send you a second for free. Those were things that we all knew. They were what she told us, what she shared with her new bus stop friends. Then, one day as we all boarded the bus, I found that I now was inhabiting Guadalupe Valenzuela's self. 
At the bus stop, I was nearly six feet tall. Inside, on the bus, I had shrunk to five feet, two inches. Things looked very unusual using her eyes. I could tell that she had not eaten breakfast. I could feel her struggling to translate from the spoken English around her back to her natural Spanish. I could hear her mentally playing a song from Rancheria Radio. She was worrying about what to tell the kids to fix for dinner. She had not yet gone to the grocery store, since payday was not until Friday. I was now inhabiting a self that was very different, completely distinct from my own. God be thanked. God be thanked for his many mercies. I always begin my trip on the bus with the same prayer. I am grateful for my wonderful children. I am grateful to have a job that feeds my family. I am grateful for my friends here on this bus. Lupe's downtown workplace was dismal. The building had been a department store, but it had closed decades ago. Once, there been elevators and an escalator, fancy lighting, bathrooms with toilets that flushed but No more. Before the marketing company rented the space, it had been a squatter's palace for a semi-permanent group of homeless. The stairwell still reeked of their urine. There were 30 other order-taking, phone operators, all seated on folding chairs facing collapsible plastic tables. Lupe, of course, worked at the Spanish-speaking desk. Like all the operators, Lupe worked from a prepared script, telling the customers about the wonders of the advertised product. She would also introduce customers to other equally wondrous devices that the customer could not live without. As she was required to do, when taking a customer's order, Lupe would double the number of items ordered, not two, but now four, and add one or two of the unadvertised wonders as well. What Lupe did not know, but Larry did, was the marketing company made its real money on its handling and shipping fees. The free second item was sent with the same handling and shipping fees as the original, same with the unadvertised wonders. A customer could easily rack up $20 to $30 in just handling and shipping fees. How long would Larry Connors be here inhabiting Guadalupe Valenzuela's self? No way to tell. Maybe, while I have the chance, I should plan to leave her a special gift. What gift could I give her? Then, Marcia, walked by.
Lupe did not understand about the stack of papers that Marcia was carrying, but Larry immediately recognized them. It was what he did. It was a stack of spreadsheet printouts. Marcia was using the spreadsheets to track the productivity of the individual workers in the order-taking phone bank. That's it. Larry said. I will give Lupe the skills that Marcia has, even more. She'll be able to do many things that Marcia can't. I'll give her the competencies to take Marcia's job. While Larry knew that the marketing company was exploiting its order-taking operators, Lupe did not see it that way. For her, it was her good job. It was her night job, the one at Easy Ed's liquor and convenience market, that she dreaded. First, she was away from her children at night. Her oldest son was 16, and surprisingly responsible but he was still just a kid. It is not fair to make him the family's babysitter. Lupe worried what if something happened at home while she was working nights. She could not leave Easy Ed's, since she was the only employee. She also worried because it was dangerous being a woman, working alone in a liquor store late at night. The daytime manager had a concealed handgun that he kept down next to the safe. Lupe had never fired a gun, so the gun was not much solace. Of course, the store had 12 video cameras that covered nearly every angle, but the cameras would not deter a gang of armed robbers wearing masks. Lupe could not quit easy ads. The pay was too good she received double-time pay for working nights. The company also promised that if she worked there for a year, it would provide health benefits for her family. Lupe wanted those benefits, especially given the needs of her middle daughter. Yet, every night as she punched in for work at the store, the dread began. She made it go away by playing lively rancheria music on the store's radio system. But it could return in an instant, if a customer with a threatening appearance came in. Every morning as she finished her night shift, she thanked God for bringing her safely through. God be thanked. God be thanked for his many mercies. Larry lost track of time. He was not sure how long he had inhabited Guadalupe Valenzuela's self. Real, objective, measurable time did not exist. To be sure, things still happened on a schedule. Lupe took the bus home, fixed her children their dinner, read the youngest a story, and then slept for a couple of hours before going to Easy Ed's to work her second job. Then, she changed clothes, walked to the bus stop, rode the bus, and worked in her downtown job. 
the same schedule every day except on Fridays when she did not go to Easy Ed's because it was her one night off. Larry later recalled that he had experienced Lupe's regular daily schedule multiple times, but he was never sure how many. Still, he clearly remembered that one Friday. Lupe slept in her own bed, in her own house, with her children. Then, on Saturday morning, we were fixing pancakes and Mexican chocolate. Lupe loved to cook and was a real master of her native cuisine. I remember the warm feeling of togetherness. All of us were around the table, enjoying an opportunity to be together as a family. The television news was playing in the living room. It happened Saturday morning while we were fixing pancakes and Mexican chocolate. Abruptly, I felt it. The fear coursed through her body. It was like swallowing something, but it gets stuck. You couldn't get it down. You're choking. It won't go down. It won't come up. The television news was broadcasting a murder scene. A murder at a convenience store, the reporter said that it was the third murder in a month. Then, the television camera panned to the name of the store. It was Easy Ed's. Oh my god, that's the store I work at, Lupe screamed. Oh my god, that's the store I work at. That scream echoed in Larry's brain. That scream echoed in Larry's brain. That scream echoed in Larry's brain. It happened suddenly and wholly unexpectedly. Then, I am again Larry, not Lupe. I have noticed that when I jump into another self, real, objective, measurable time does not seem to exist. 
That is the only explanation I can give for why it took so long for me to become Larry again. I was Lupe on Saturday morning. I remember hearing the newscast and Lupe's scream. But, I am not Larry again until the following Wednesday morning. It was Wednesday morning. I was at my workstation, hunched over, somebody said. When I unexpectedly stood straight up and screamed, no. I am again Larry. And pain throbs everywhere in my body. And pain throbs everywhere in my body. Palooza Springs Audio Theatre is a creative collaboration whose purpose is to write, produce, and share original story content through webcast radio experiences.